Um, uh, my name is Ron Bogus. I am an elder here at Cross Creek Presbyterian Church, and today I'll be teaching um, what this church believes, what the PCA believes, um, what Reformed theology believes in salvation, uh, wrapped around the Trinity, the five solas, and tulip. Um, so, as I said earlier, that's going to be a lot. Um, quite frankly, these subjects, you could have a six-week class in each of these subjects to really get down into the nitty-gritty of them. Um, so, let me open us up in prayer, and we'll go ahead and get started. Heavenly Father, we do come before you, Lord. Again, we do thank you for this wonderful day that you've provided to us. We're thankful for being able to come together to worship you. Be with us now that we might um, please you, um, and be with us that we um, would have eyes to see and ears to hear, that we might uh, learn these truths that you have provided um, through your previous apostles and leaders of the church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, if you want to, a, a basic script that will cover everything that we're really talking about, go to uh, Acts chapter 4, um, verse 12. Um, actually go to um, verse 11, but I'm just going to read it, and then we'll just jump into this stuff. So Acts chapter 4, verses 11 uh, and 12. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. Which, which we may, yeah, we must be saved. So Christ, um, Christ is, is, is the focal point here. Christ said that I am the truth, the light, and the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, as we get into salvation, what is salvation? Um, and again, I like to op- ask open-ended questions and things like that, but it's going to be more of a discussion. But if you have a question, raise your hand, and I will try to get to you because there's just so much to cover. I will be available after church. Um, if you have any questions on any material or anything like that, I'll be here next week. Um, so I usually like to you know, be a little bit more open-ended. But anyway, salvation uh, is to be delivered... What the definition of salvation is to be delivered or rescued from peril in our case and subject matter today is being delivered from hell and God's wrath. So um, there's only two places we go in the afterlife, either for the elect, they'll spend eternity in heaven with God, or you will go to hell and and face his wrath for eternity. Those are the those are the two places. There are no intermediaries areas, there's no purgatory, there's no um, place where you stand and can work off your time and those kinds of things. There's two places you're going to go. And at the time of death, you, your soul is adjudicated, and you will go to either of those places um, so desired. Now, when Christ comes again in the resurrection, and our bodies are joined with our souls, and I don't necessarily understand all of that, and that's okay, <clears throat> but we still will our, we'll have our bodies at that point in time and for eternity as well. So, John MacArthur uh, makes a statement. I have it here in here, but I'm going to read it because I think it's really, it really tells us who we are. Because to understand salvation, you have to understand that you're a sinner. Everybody in this room, including myself, was a sinner. And he says, the real problem is sin and guilt. That's the issue. God sent Jesus Christ to rescue us from the consequences of our sin, and everybody falls into that category of sinner. It doesn't matter whether you're among the have or the have-nots, whether you have great expectations or not at all, whether you are consumed by your passions or exhibit a degree of self-control and discipline, 
you are still a sinner. You have broken the law of God, and He is angry about it. Unless something happens to change your condition, you're on your way to eternal hell. You need to be rescued from the consequences of your sin. Those are the principal issues the gospel solves. And then I have a text there. And, of course, Acts 4.12 is the one we're using as a base text for all of what we're talking about. So let's talk in. We can't have salvation without the Trinity. So this is probably one of the hardest subjects the church to define, to discuss, to say what it is, because there's supernatural things that are going on that we just don't understand. The best theologians today don't understand, so I will tell you it's a mystery. Um, I will tell you I don't understand it, and that's okay. The church will tell you it's a mystery, but it is three persons in one. And so the Westminster Confession says, in the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternal, begotten of the Father, and the, the Holy Ghost externally proceeding from the Father and Son. It's a divine being, but one indivisible essence. So all of them are holy. All of them possess the attributes that you would call to God, the, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They do different things, but... They have all the same essence. They're not separated. They're not, and they all are one within God. That's the mystery. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and say I understand that because I don't, and I don't think anybody else does either. So it's just important to understand that. Um, and I believe in time it will be revealed to us. We stand in front of God and we are consummated. We are fully glorified. I think these things will come. Will be. We'll understand them in ways that we could never do that before with our feeble minds that we have right now. Um, okay, in this one divine being, there are three persons, and I put the text in there I'm to, to read any of them. Um, the whole undivided essence of God belongs equally to each of the three persons. This substance and operation of the three persons in the divine being is marked by a certain definite order. If you notice what the Westminster Confession brought out, you heard the Father who's first. He's eternal. He was not begotten. He... He's been in existence from the beginning of time, before the foundations of the earth. I mean, he's been. He never has not been. And so then from there, the Son is begotten of the Father. And then the Holy Spirit proceeds forth from the Father and the Son. So there's a logical progression of the Holy Spirit. They've always been in existence. All of them are eternal. And so you go back and you look in Genesis and you see... Where over the water, the Spirit hovered over the waters. The Word was with God. All of, you know, Christ was there, the Spirit was there, God was there when He created. God is the Creator, but He did it through the help of the other attributes of the Son and of um, the Spirit. So, um, the whole, uh, okay, where, okay, the substance and operations of the three persons in the divine being is marked by a certain definite order. That's that order. and here's some of the personal attributes as I was mentioning earlier. Creation ascribed primarily to the Father. God is the creator. He's the creator of all things. Redemption to the Son. Sanctification to the Holy Spirit. Um, and we're going to go into depth in these and we talk about each individual aspect of the Trinity. The works of the three persons are jointly executed. So you can't have salvation without the work of the Spirit. You can't, or, you know, Christ obviously died on the cross for us. And God is the 
author of redemption. So all three working in concert together accomplishes God's will and desires in our lives. The Trinity is a mystery, and this is what I'm trying to get at with it, beyond the comprehension of man. Primary difficulty lies in the relationship in which the persons in the Godhead stand to the divine essence and to one another. You know, the question is, how is three people in one? I can't explain that. That's, that is a mystery, and no one, um, no one can explain that. We, and so the church tries to do this, the difficulty that the church, um, they, want, they can't remove it, but the church tries to reduce this difficulty through proper definitions of terms. Um, that's why we have, for instance, Lewis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology. We have the Westminster Confession of Faith um, that goes and does the best that it can to explain the Trinity. Um, but this, again, it's the idea is to prevent errors that would endanger the Trinity. Why? The Trinity itself is not endangered um, because that's God, and God designed it, and nothing is going to endanger what God has laid out. But within the church, and us who are less than God, there's all kinds of schisms that can come out of the Trinity and what it is and what it is not. And so we have to be as careful as we can in our definitions, our discussion, um, of what it is, who it is, why it is, the essence, all of that. We talk about um, what each individual does or doesn't do. So we're going to break that down. The three uh, persons considered separately, God the Father. First of all, in his name, Father. It, it covers multitudes of things within the Bible. He's the Father of all things. He created all things. His relation to Israel, he's the Father of Israel. If you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see the written word saying he's the Father. You know, he's the Father of all. Scriptures talk about the Father of all. He's our Father. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, he is our Father. Uh, the name of the first person in the Trinity, that's obvious. And then Father in relationship with the second person of the Trinity, which is Jesus Christ. He's the Father of, he, you know, Christ is the Son of God. He is the Father in relationship, in the same relationship to any father-son relationship, daughter relationship. He is the Father. He is, in, he is in charge, if you will. His distinctive properties, uh, and again, um, this is a great, all of this is in here in much more than what I'm talking about, but in Lewis Burkhoff's Systematic Theology and the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, these are the primary, um, what I'm using for the Trinity, um, excellent, excellent discussions, and, and it really goes down into some depth that will you know, hurt your head. But, that's what we're talking about. It's a very deep subject. Okay, his distinct um, properties, God, he is not begotten or unbegotten. In other words, he's existed since the be. He's always existed. He wasn't formed from something else. He didn't come out of something else. He wasn't preceded by something else. He has always been. He always will be. He doesn't need anything. He's self-sustaining. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need anything. He has created us out of his good pleasure. He created the world and the universe out of his good pleasure. But he does not need any of that, uh, and he existed always. Um, he designed the works of redemption, and I've put the text in there. Um, he is the creator of all things, and he represents the Trinity. The Trinity is in God. God is the overarching, the three the, uh, three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But He is the essence. He is the total Godhead. So God the Son, the name of the Son of God, 
Um, he's a deity of Christ. He's a deity. Christ has the same deity. The Holy Spirit has the same deity that God has. He's not, they're not lesser creatures. They're not lesser beings. They're not any of that. They have the same deity um, as God does. He is the Son of God, and He is the only begotten Son. He's begotten of the Father. He, he preceded, uh, or excuse me, begotten of the Father. A personal subsistence of the Son. He, his personal relationship with God. Christ says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, he was before all creation. Christ existed. Um, he was there. When creation, before creation, he's always been there. He's been there. He's been, um, you can go to 1 John 1. The Word was with, was with God and the Word is God. Um, and, and, and through creation, Christ, the creation could not have happened if Christ was not present. The, the logos, that when they call logos of Christ, you know, they're talking about the personal, identifies him with, um, as being the Son of God. And then, of course, he is the image of God. And his own language, his own, came out of his own mouth. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, eternal generations of the Son. Again, begotten of the Father. It was a necessary act of the Father to have the Son. It was an eternal act, because the Son's been there eternally. But he, you know, God made the Son. Um, it's an eternal act of the Father. Generations of the personal substance, not essence of the Son. So the personal, uh, and again, he's not giving, he didn't give. He, this is one of those mystery things, the essence, that, that holiness. All of those things the Son possesses just like God did. He didn't give that to him. He didn't deny him that. He made those things. They were together. They're the same. There's no separation at all. Um, let's see. This generation of Christ um, is spiritual and divine. Okay, he is a spirit, but he's also came to earth as a physical body. Um, but in this case, we're talking about he's spiritual. He is spiritual. He's here with us now. Christ's Spirit is with us right now. God's Spirit is with us right now. The Holy Ghost Spirit is with us right now. We don't see them, but they are here. We, and, and you need to believe that because they are here. Um, just in, within this, the Burkhoff, um, it states, this is one of the things, I thought this was a good statement, it is the eternal and necessary act of the first person in the Trinity whereby he within the divine being is the ground of a second personal substance like his own, and puts this second person in possession of the whole. In other words, the divine essence without any division, alienation, or change. So Christ is God. God is Christ. Again, I don't necessarily understand that, but there is no separation, there's no division, there's no, they are equally in power, and all the things, they are equal. They have all the same attributes. Talk about the deity of the Son. There's in some cases... um, where some would think that because the, the Son was begotten of the Father, somehow he's somewhat lesser than God, but he is not. And I put the, um, the uh, when we talk about divine name of Christ, I put those um, um, proof texts there, and I, I'm sorry that we can't go and hit those, but, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, they're, they're good. They will support everything that's being said here. Um, when he talks about, when you want to talk about the divine attributes, how does the scripture ascribe divine attributes to Christ? They're right there. His divine works, 
and then his divine honor. In other words, the honor due Christ. It's the same honor that's due um, God. So the divinity of Christ is the same as God. It's not less. It's not anything more. Um, it is equal. Okay, so um, going on with the Holy Spirit. Third person in the Trinity. He proceeds forth from the Father and the Son. And the personality of the Spirit. He's, it's a masculine Akinos in John 16, 14. That's the, I believe that's the, I don't know if it's Greek. I think it's Greek. I'll take a chance on that. It's either Greek or, or Hebrew. I'm not exactly sure. But again, it's a masculine name. When you talk about the Parakletos, um, he is a comforter. It takes place of Christ. If you remember um, in, in Acts, um, Christ told the disciples before he sent his stay in Jerusalem, until my helper comes, I will send you the helper who will take my place. He's the comforter. Um, and this is what the Holy Spirit is. He is our comforter. He is here, and even Christ's Spirit is here, but he's here to comfort us and guide us and direct us until Christ comes back. Um, so he is um, the, a, a comforter. Um, his characteristics, he is intelligent. He is affectionate. He searches our souls. He speaks. He testifies of the Son and of the Father. He intercedes for us. The, the Holy Spirit groans in ways we do not know so that our prayers will be um, uh, uh, received by God in a, in a proper manner. Christ also intercedes for us when he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He intercedes. We have two entities of the Godhead that are interceding for us when we pray, when we come before God, when we worship him. These are important things for our salvation for our growth, for our relationships with God. Um, because if we didn't have these things, if we didn't have the promptings of the Holy Spirit, if we, didn't, if we weren't convicted of our sins by the Holy Spirit, if we didn't have these things, we would be lost forever. Um, represented in relationship as his own personality. So in other words, he has his own personality, just like Christ has his own personality. God has his own personality. This is a three in one, but together they make the Godhead. Again, it's a mystery. Um, but he is, uh, and he is, he is distinguished from his own power. So he has abilities. He does these things, which I just mentioned. Um, in relation of the Holy Spirit to the other persons of the Trinity, he, again, he proceeds from the Father and the Son. It's a logical order. God was always, his Son was begotten from him. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. Um, Took place, of, took place of Christ on earth to teach, proclaim, testify, and bear witness until Christ comes again. So the deity, again, the Holy Spirit has a deity. He is divine, just like God. He is no less. He is no less a being. Um, and I give you this, the ex, um, Exodus, Acts, all of them are there. Um, the deni- divine names are given him in, in, in Scripture. His divine perfections, he is omnipresence and omniscient. Just like God is omnipresent, he's omniscient. All three of them know. They're all present. They can be everywhere at one time. They know all things at one time, beyond our understanding. But they are that. His divine works, he was involved in creation. Um, Provincial renovations, and when we're talking about that, is the renovations of our souls. When we were lost, it's the Holy Spirit that changes our hearts. That heart gets changed um, and changes our inclinations. You know, we don't go kicking and screaming. We're going to talk about this when we get down to um, 
uh, we get into uh, the solas. And, but anyway, we don't go kicking and screaming um, when God has called us. Um, he, we are effectually called. That Holy Spirit comes. It changes our inclinations where before our inclinations were against God, but now our in- inclinations are towards God, and that causes that change in our heart. Um, and the Holy Spirit does that. Um, let's see here. Renovations. And then, of course, regeneration. And that is our, our coming out of our sin, our sinful natures, and turning into God. And then His divine honor is also due the Holy Spirit. And then the work of the Holy Spirit, generation of life, uh, general inspiration and qualifications of men. Um, he inspires men. He qualifies men, whether they should be or not be um, leaders or not leaders, or saved or not saved. Those are the types of things that we're looking at. Of course, redemption, preparing and qualification of Christ for his medial work. Christ, he, he ministered to Christ you know, before he was even beginning his, um, his, his services here on earth. Um, he ministered to him. Um, the inspirational inspiration of Scripture, again, he, he inspires the men to write the, the scriptures they had, all scripture is God-breathed. So therefore, the Holy Spirit is involved in that because he's, these men wrote the Holy Scriptures as they are today. Um, the formation and augmentation of the church. The church is formed and motivated through that, through, through the motivations of the Holy Spirit, and then the teaching and the guiding of the church. Again, we have the Bible and things, but the, the Holy Spirit, that's what we say, dwell on the Holy Spirit, and he gives you clarity. He gives you understanding. He gives you ideas of where to um, go for the next bit of information that you're looking for. He doesn't speak audibly to you. That's not what I'm getting at. But he does convict us. He, he, he causes us to have the desires to learn. He has us the, the desire to go search the truth, whatever that is. So that is the Trinity in, like, you know, light speed. Um, so I apologize for that. But what, uh, any, any really brief questions or, go ahead. No, no, the Holy Spirit will always be here. It's, it's not going to change, you know. Again, I don't know exactly how it's going to look like when Christ comes again. I want him to come like right now, but, um, and that's fine with me. I'm ready, but because um, he's the only one that's going to get this world straight. But the Holy Spirit will never go away. The whole, the, 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 all three are one. It's three in one. It's indestructible. They will always be. The Godhead will be what it is. Um, I don't know you know, what it will look like when Christ comes back, but I know that the Holy Spirit will still be involved in whatever's going on because he's involved now. He was involved before the foundations of the earth. He will not, will not go away. That's a good question. But he... After Christ's ascension. So Christ ascended right. so that the Holy Spirit could come. That's right. But he still will be present when Christ comes back. Um, if Christ sent him, he told, as I said in Acts, um, he sent the Holy Spirit to be their comforter, to guide them in all the things that the Holy Spirit does until he comes again. Does that answer your question? Did that make it clear? Um, kind of. I'm not totally it's, it's a hard subject. I'm not going to argue with you. But <laughs> there, as I understand it, 
there is they, they they were all three the God has not going to be separated or changed in, in any way even after the coming of Christ well I didn't mean that the Holy Spirit would like cease to exist I just mean my my prior understanding of the Holy Spirit is that when um, Christ ascended the the Holy Spirit was sent to live within us because Christ was no longer walking among us right uh, and so I guess what I was getting at is when Christ does return, he will be walking among us. Will we still have the Holy Spirit living within us? That's a good question. And I don't know, to be honest with you. I'll be quite honest with you. I don't know the answer to that question. I will check and um, see what there is. I don't know that there is an answer to that question. I think Scripture says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy That's true. Spirit? That's true. That's true. Yep. Christ is God with us. The Spirit. So I don't think that the Holy Spirit would not be indwelling in us even after he comes, I think. Again, it's a whole different ballgame because, you know, the rapture would be done. All of those things are done. We would be within our bodies, you know, um, you know, the reigning on earth, the new heavens and new earth. Um, and all of that, I mean, I, I, I don't know, but... I would think that, no, they're not going to take the Holy Spirit from indwelling in our bodies. I just don't think that. Um, because we are spiritual beings, we would be spiritual beings. Um, but I don't know truly. I don't know the answer to that question. I will find out, and um, we will, uh, I'll get back with you on that. And see if there's any, it doesn't talk about, I mean, in, in this, that I can see. I mean, I have, to, I have to go back and look at the end times when they talk about that. My, my guess is, I strongly guess is that it's not going to change. The Holy Spirit will still be present, will be dwelling in us, um, doing the things that he does. But I will find out for sure. Okay? All right. Let's get into the five solas. Um, all right. Five solas. The foundation belief of the Reformed Church. The solas... Um, are our five points, it really comes out of the five points of Calvinism, but the five points that uh, the church believes and the PCA, the Reformed Church, these are uh, foundational to that. And they are, the Holy Scripture state that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone for God's glory. And so the first soul we're going to talk about is Sola Scriptura, and that is Scripture alone. This church is in the PCA and the Reformed faith, we believe that the scriptures are true and faithful. Scripture interprets scripture. So if we got a question or we're going to have a debate or we're going to talk about a certain subject matter, we're going to go to the Holy Scriptures and what is we can find in there is what we are going to um, go by. First Timothy 3, 16, through, uh, 16, 17, this is what I mentioned before, all scripture is God-breathed, out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All of the good works that we do, God has planned them from the um, beginning of the foundation of the earth, before the foundation of the earth. So anything that we do good, God has already planned out for us. God has already determined um, that we will be used as tools for his glory. It's not for our own edification. It's not for our own building up. It's not for our own um, edif anything. It's for God's glory. And so any of these good works, and every one of us in this room, 
young, old, in between, um, have been set up um, for good works. And we will do these good works that God has laid out for us to do. Um, but it's all based off of all of everything we do in the Reformed faith is based off the Scriptures. Um, it's not off what I think. You know, I'm not afraid to sit here and tell you, like I said, I don't know what that answer to that question is. I don't even know if there is an answer to that question. But if, you know, we'll search the Scriptures, we'll look, we'll see what it is. is. Um, hang on. Here's a couple of y'all that just walked in. Give that to them. God wants <clears throat> um, Again, I'm just touching on these because of the time. And you could do a whole class on the solas. And in fact, we focus on those uh, during Reformation in October when we do Reformation Month. And we end October 31st with Reformation Day um, is when Luther put the thesis on the Bittenberg Castle doors. Um, but anyway, um, the next one we're going to talk about is sola fide. This is in faith alone. Our faith, Romans 3.28, the proof text, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So, in other words, our justification is by faith alone. It's not by works. Um, there is, um, when the, um, um, there is an S, even today, there are churches, there are people, there are, that think that they can be good enough. When we talk about works, we're talking about something that I do or you do that makes us somehow qualified to be saved over someone else. As it's not true. There's nobody, there's no, you, can, you can do all the works that you want to do. Um, we could do all the works all of us combined could do and stack them out here in the, in the parking lot, and it won't get you one inch closer to God or one inch closer to being saved. We cannot save ourselves. Um, we're going to get into that when we talk about total depravity um, here in a minute. So it's by faith alone, faith in Jesus Christ and what he has said in the Holy Scriptures. The next one, sola gratia, grace alone. This is what I just get into. And again, proof text for this is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And that's a good point. Because if we did works and we thought we did these things, and I did all of these great things, so I should be saved, we're going to take the credit ourselves. That's just how we are. We all would do that. But that's not the case. It's from God and God alone. He, he is the planner of redemption. He sent Christ, and they sent the Holy Spirit to convict us and give us a heart of flesh. And through Christ's acts on the cross, we're saved. And that's it. Christ said, I'm the way, again, I said it earlier, but I'm the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that means there's no multiple ways up the mountain. Every other religion in the world except for Christianity, and I mean everyone, is a, is a type of, of work. Works. If you do these things... You'll get to the next level. It's like a game. It's just not true. It's, it's, it appeals to us as humans because we like to be in charge. We like to be able to do things. We like to be involved. We like to have control of the situation. But it is not up to us. It is not up to us. And a Reformed faith truly believes it is not up to us. It is only up to God who elects those who will be saved and he elects those who will not be saved. And that's the bottom line. And that's what this church believes. That's what I believe. Um, okay. Christ alone. 
Sola Christus. Acts 4.12, and we already read that one. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Only Christ can save us. Only the work, the blood of Christ, what he did on a cross, will save us. That's it. There is nothing else. And so we have to put our faith and trust and confidence in him alone. And then finally, all of this, God didn't have to save anybody, by the way. He didn't have to save any of us. He doesn't have to save anybody. If he wanted to, he could send everybody to hell if he wanted to, in his good pleasure, and he'd be righteous for doing that. He would be absolutely, perfectly holy, giving us what we desire, or deserve, excuse me, because of all the sins that we've done and committed, the sins we've committed today, okay, in thought, deed, word, whatever those are. He'd have every right to send us to hell, but he doesn't. Why? Because of his own good, because of his glory. So, solo dio gloria, Romans eleven thirty eight. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So, everything that we do, we look at the smart, shorter catechism. What is the chief end of man? Glorify God and joy him forever. Why? Because he's, he is due. His divinity is due that. The Trinity is due that. We are his creatures. He created us. He has called us. He has elected us to be saved. It is our responsibility to worship him and to raise him up and elevate him as we ought to. Um, And in his glory, why all of this is happening. It's not for our glory. It's not for our um, anything. We are nothing before God. God is everything. So those are the five solos. Very quick. Um, any, any questions on the souls? Hearing none, we'll move on. Um, all right, so TULIP, five points of Calvinism. I think I said that with uh, the, the souls, and I apologize. That is not the case. This is the, the TULIP is the, the five points of Calvinism, um, so I apologize if I confuse anybody on that. Uh, but TULIP is a summary of the five points of Calvinism. It describes the doctrines of grace. Um, these points um, were and are used to combat the views of a man named Jacobus Arminius, Arminius excuse me, and it's now called Arminianism because this guy is no longer here. This was back in the 1700s, um, but this man um, and his believers, they were called remonstrate, remonstrants. They were, um, in other words, these people were arguing against um, the doctrines of grace uh, within the Reformed Church at that time when they were alive, and um, really comes down to is, is Arminianism is that somehow man has a, uh, has a uh, part in his salvation, his redemptive work, um, which we already talked about, which is works, and we don't believe that. So Calvin and um, Luther and the rest of them were combating this way back then. We combat it today because, like I said, just about every other religion is a religion of works. You have to do, if you do these things, then God will shine favor upon you. If you do this, God will do this. If you hear something like that anywhere, if you do this, then God will do this. That's works. You need to be cautious about how how that's done. Now, we are required to do things since God has saved us. I'm putting it in different words. We are to be holy because God is holy. We are to worship a holy God because we're called to worshiping in in the scriptures. We are to you know, support our brothers and sisters in Christ because that's what the church does and that's what the disciples taught. 
So we, there are things that we are to do. But again, these are good works that God has provided for us to do before we were even born. And so it's important to understand the difference of the two. Um, so Arminius was wanting to say that you know, man has some, something to do with um, how we are saved. Well, that's not the truth. And so Calvin came up with these, and we call it TULIP, and we're going to talk about these here uh, in turn. They, again, they describe the doctrines of grace. These points, uh, again, um, again, it's again, there's people, I would just say, today, we still face the same things. Um, it's called Arminianism, and it's a belief that man has something to do with his salvation. And it just doesn't, it is not the case. We were dead in our trespasses. We have nothing to do. I will give you a case in point. Lazarus, an example, I guess. Lazarus was dead three days in the grave before Christ came to raise him from the dead. Is there anything that Lazarus could have done to bring himself out of that cave, do you think? Anything. Do you think Lazarus could have done anything? Was his brain thinking? Was he? No, he was dead. He was completely dead. If it wasn't for Christ coming and bringing him out of that, you know, he was already saved, but again, he brought him back from life. It's the same thing in our trespasses. We are in our sin. Anybody, and I can raise my hand, because I was, I did not come to Christ until I was probably 27 or so. So, I was a perpetrator of the highest order. And I can tell you, I've done just about everything you could think to be done. And, um, and when God changed my heart, I, never, I don't long for these things. Anymore. I don't do those. I don't even care about those things. I was a completely different animal. And thank God for that. But there's people that he doesn't choose and are still living that lifestyle. Because God determines that. Do you think I was running to God, you know, when I was going out to bars and drinking and raising and carousing and all the other things? No, I was running away from him. My heel was turned against him. I knew who he was because I went to church when I was all a youngster, all my days. But again, we, we, we are absolutely dead. So there's nothing, 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 nothing. I'm, I'm driving that point home that man can do to save themselves. There's absolutely nothing. So let's go through these. There, um, again, TULIP, and TULIP is the, the first letter of each, but it goes total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and preservation of the saints. So first, total depravity. And I just kind of went into that pretty much detail. We are totally deprived. Um, all right, why is that? Because we have original sin. Our sin that Adam and Eve bore, we still bore today. And we will before, and we will bear the sins in the, in the fall of that until we are fully glorified in heaven. We will sin no more. And we will not feel the effects of sin. Um, again, so original sin is the fallen nature of mankind. We sin because we are sinners, and we have been since Adam and Eve sinned the first time. Um, the fall affects the whole person. So this is, um, and this is important to grab. It. A lot of times we think sin, well, it's just something I did or whatever, but this just shows you how deprived we are. Our physical aspects of our bodies, we, we die, we have disease, we have um, infirmities, all of those things. Our minds, where do our minds turn to? How easily are our minds turned to sin when that TV comes on or whatever? Just sitting there idly thinking, thoughts that come into your mind. You know, you don't act on them or anything, but, you know, you just wonder, why did that come into my head? Um, limited atonement. 
I'm sorry, I'm back over here, sorry. Um, our wills are bound to sin right now. Our wills, you know, if it wasn't for the grace of God, we would still seek out sin. And if left, if God's grace was removed from us, we would sin. And we still sin anyways. We still sin against the Holy God, even though we're saved. And that's because we are fallible. We're, we're, we're not, you know, we're not completely consummated yet. When we stand before God and we're fully glorified, we will sin no more. Again, is to recognize that, understand that. And that's why we have our confessions of sin on Sundays. Why we have, you should have confessions of sin every day, quite frankly, in your own prayer life. I know I do. Um, because we do sin, and our wills are bound to that sin because of the fall. It's a fight. It's a constant battle. That's why we're, we say um, in the Reformed realms that we should be you know, putting our sin to death on a daily basis. If we're not putting sin to death, it's, it's killing you. Sin's killing you. So when you sin, and you will, you need to confess it before God and move on and sin no more and try and work hard. Now, you may, but you, it, it, when you for, ask for forgiveness of sin, it doesn't stop there. It, you have actions. You have to work towards not sinning in that way. That makes sense. Something, you know, you just can't say, okay, please, Lord, forgive me my sin. And don't make me that. You actually have to figure out, you have to work towards not sinning. Um, we have to do that. If you don't, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a battle. It's a battle anyway, but you've got to use the tools that God has given us. God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit to help you combat your sins. Um, and then our spirits are infected with sin because it's in us. It's, it's with us. It's a constant battle. Um, this can only become by the work of the Holy Spirit changing our hearts, which is what happens in redemption. And this change is not completely an emanation of sin. This happens in our final glorification in heaven. Now, again, so total depravity, you need to look at it from the perspective of there's, you were dead, you were dead. And there is nothing, in, you know, prior to you being um, come to faith, there's nothing that you did, nothing that you could have done. You probably didn't even think about it. And I can, I can think that way because that's how it was for me. I, I was later in my life, you know, and, um, and then God changed my heart. And it was a whole different ballgame. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you. It was like in a moment, you know, um, now, I've learned a lot over the last 20-plus years, okay, so it just begins. The learning begins at that point. But, I mean, I didn't desire any of the things. that It, it was really amazing. It really is amazing when you first come to um, faith in Christ. Um, so, but there's nothing I did. There's nothing you can do. And there's nothing a sinner can do. Um, they are totally deprived. So next is unconditional election. Um, unconditional election. God does not you know, foresee an action or a condition on our part that induces him to save us. And you can look at Romans 9, 10 through 13, and Romans 8, we'll back that up. God bestows his grace on some sinners and withholds his grace on others. That is God's choice. We already talked about that. It's called election. And God will elect those who will be saved, and God will elect those who will not be saved. And he is righteous and good and proper and however he determines that to be. It is his choice. I know that doesn't sound fair, but our ways are not God's ways. God is the holy being in charge, and he's been trotted, downtrodden by the world for many, many generations, but that still, he is still sovereign. And in the person that says there is no God, he is still sovereign over that person. And so um, it's a hard truth, but it's, it is a truth. Um, 
And, and then can predestination, Romans 8, 29 through 30. Um, somebody turn to that, Romans 8, and read. I'll do that one because it's important. Go to Romans 8 and read verses 29 through 30, please, somebody. Okay, and um, that's our, or, you know, again, I just, that's the scripture. It's God that determines, and it's what God does in your life. And God is ultimately uh, going to carry you through, and we're going to talk about here in Preservation of the Saints, but um, it's God's decision. God makes it, you can like it or dislike it. I'll be honest with you. And it's called predestination. And when I first came to this church, I did not believe in predestination. You can talk to my wife right over there. And I was like, that, that, I don't know if that's right or not. But, you know, um, God had changed me, so I was willing to listen and learn. And there's a lot of great men, some of them still here today, um, through men's Bible study, through classes, through all the things, the preaching of the word, all that. Um, and now that I see, and it was a long time ago, quite frankly, when I changed my mind, but, or God, actually it was God changing my mind, I didn't change my mind. Anyway, God presented his word and his Guidance, and I realized that you know I was in error, and so uh, um, and now I see the Bible sees of it from the Old Testament to the New Testament. He chose Israel not because they were the best, not because of their greatest, not because they were the largest. He chose them because that's what he decided. So God is sovereign, so God decides, and so um, and He does. He He decides, and He takes us through the whole process. Um, so it is it's unconditional election. Um, and predestination is what we call that and you just read the scripture um, and um, it is up to God that is the thanks be to God because I wouldn't want to be the one having to choose who is and who isn't who gets saved and who isn't I would not want that because I, I wouldn't have picked me I can tell you that much Okay, I wouldn't have picked me um, I don't know why God picked me go ahead They are. They are. I don't. But, but the first one there, God does not foresee our action. Uh, in other words, our faith is, or his election of us is not based on something that he foresees us doing. Right. The reason we need to really focus on that is uh, if that were true, uh, he, he looked down the corridors of time and saw that we would choose him. If that were true, what would that mean? We have to ask that question. Right. That he foresaw and chose us based on that. Right. And puts us back in charge. And so it's really important to understand that because our next our unbelieving next door neighbor, um, if, if if we were to believe that God's election of us was based on something he saw in us, then that means that we're better than our unbelieving next door neighbor. Yeah, and it leads to all kinds of schism. 
I mean, I mean, you're, you know, we'd be elevating ourselves above others, and um, you know, we would not be humble, we would not be contrite, we would not, we would almost think, well, I, I, I'm in the in club, man. I really don't need to worship God. You know, I'm in. You know, you got to worry about that. You all out there are going to worry about that. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. And I agree with that, but it also takes something away from God. That's I understand that. Yep. I mean and we we do not add anything to God. We do not. God comes fully is, sufficient. I guess my point is election is a really difficult one. And we and there's a lot of mystery there. You know, why is God there is. some and not others? And I, unfortunately, again, I, Michael and I were talking about this beforehand. I mean, there's so much here. I mean, you could have done on just on the tulip, we could have done, a, you know, like a whole month or plus of studies, you know, take one of these per Sunday in a Sunday school class and go in much greater detail. I just did not have the time. So, but you're absolutely right. But we must insist it's unconditional because if it was based on some condition that God foresees, that's right. Then we're, then we're, we're relying on our own goodness to save us, to save us. I, I, yeah. I agree. I will tell you, there's a, um, what do I do with it? I, I, part of what I was using here, and um, if you want something uh, that you can go and get offline here, uh, a series blog of articles of at Ligonier. This is Ligonier, um, R.C. Sproul on Tulip. Um, it's a little bit more in depth what I'm talking about. Um, he likes to rename some things, you know. But again, he still believes in the, all of the um, the tulip, but he just likes to use different language. Words mean things. But anyway. I can give this to you later if you want to get the access to it. You can go online. It doesn't cost anything. But, it, you know, this is all on just Tulip, all these pages. Um, and, um, you know, you can get a pretty, you know, get a little bit more in depth. All right, let's move on. Limited atonement. God designed the works of redemption specifically with a view of providing salvation for the elect. Christ died for his sheep that believe in him and repent of their sins. And these uh, scriptures that I've left, left here, you know, this you, you probably recognize some of them. Again, we don't have time to hit them all. Please go and look at them. But it talks about the sheep know my name. Um, they hear my voice. Only my sheep will you save. You know, God has given these people to me. And he was praying before he that God would keep them after he was ascended. So um, those are the, some of those scriptures that are in there. Um, so... Again, the limited atonement, again, God, um, is just, this ties into the previous one, but, you know, it's, only, it's limited. The atonement goes to those who God has chosen to be saved. That's limited atonement. Um, not everybody's being atoned. He's not atoning the entire world. He's not, Christ didn't come to save everybody. Now, does God, would God want the whole world to be saved? Absolutely. Absolutely, God. God doesn't sit, does not sit in His throne and say, "He He 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 wants everybody to be saved." But we are sinful people, and so um, not all will be saved. And He shows His glory and His justice, and the same as if who He saves, as well as those that He condemns, because He's holy. He can do that. That's what He does, and, and He and we should honor Him for that. All right, irresistible grace. The regener regeneration precedes faith. What do we mean by regeneration? Um, 
In other words, you can't have faith unless your heart has been changed. You can't, your inclinations have to be changed towards having faith in God. So in the process of coming through um, your salvation, um, for those that are unsaved, they're not even thinking any of this stuff. They're not going to start automatically one day wake up without the inner working of the Holy Spirit, start thinking about what God would want to do in my life. Um, someone might flip a pebble in their shoe or somebody might say something to them. They might think about it you know, just a little bit. If that person would be saved, you know, the Holy Spirit will take that. And if it's his design, if it's God's design, um, he will give them that heart of flesh. And then they will start longing for God. But again... This regeneration has to happen before you have faith in God. Does that make sense? I hope. You have to be regenerated. In other words, you have to be changed before you can have faith in God. You just don't walk down the street and automatically, I have faith in God because I decided I'm going to have faith in God. It doesn't work that way. That's what we mean by regeneration. All right, irresistible grace going on. God does this alone with no help from man. We've already hit that one pretty hard. God has the power to overcome our natural resistance to his grace. Because it is. Our natural resistance before we were saved was against God. We were against him. And that was our natural inclinations toward them. The Holy Spirit changes or inclines us towards Christ. We don't go kicking and screaming to faith in Christ. In other words, you're not drugged down the road, forced to you know, change your mind about God. It becomes, it's freely. It's something that because you were regenerated, your heart was changed, now I have faith. You long now for God and his word and his son and all that goes along with it. You long for it. Um, without this work, we would never come to Christ and believe. Without regeneration, without the working of the Holy Spirit, without God working in us first, we will not come to know God. We will not. Perseverance of the saints. And this, is, this should give us, you know, all these things are weighty matters, but this last one should give us great confidence, should give us excitement and happiness. God will finish the good work that he has started in you. If you are saved and you have genuine faith, God will finish the work that he has started in you. You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to go through hard times. You're going to go through good times. You're going to go through all of these things. But God has saved you. You are genuine faith. He will see you to the end. He will see you to you standing in front of him um, in, in, in heaven. And he will, he will preserve you and keep you. And if you don't believe that, I'm telling you it's true. He will be with you every step of the way. Good times, bad times. Um, what God started in our souls, he will perfect. We are not. When we first come to faith, we are not perfected. We are none of us, including me right now, none of us are finished, finished products. We have barnacles, as I say, in our backsides that need to be taken off because we are sinful. We still sin. We are not perfect. We are not holy because God is holy. We fall short of his glory. We fall short. We sin on a daily basis. So he's going to continue to perfect us in the Holy Spirit, working in our lives and through Christ's intercession and God's determination. Um, we will proceed to be sanctified over our lives. And so, um, again, and we were thankful for that because, I mean, just like a father, you would not, if you have a child that is not being doing what they're supposed to be, you, you will discipline that child in however way you discipline. But you'll do that because you're not just going to want to leave them doing the wrong thing. 
okay? Well, our Father in heaven is no different. Um, he loves us, he cares for us, and he's going to work uh, in our lives accordingly. Um, you cannot lose genuine faith. You know, people wonder, you know, I mean, am I really, my faith, I mean, am I truly saved? How do I confirm that I'm saved? You know. I mean, I don't know how else to tell you. But you can't lose your faith. If you are genuinely saved, if you are a daughter or son of Christ, uh, you will not lose your faith. It cannot be snatched from his hand. Christ says, my elect cannot be snatched from my hand. So, you cannot lose your faith. Um, Christ continues to intercede on our behalf as he sits at the right hand of the Father. Um, now, some people do make professions of faith but leave the faith. And there's some scripture passages to talk about. It. While that is um, it's the truth, but it, and it is sad, uh, unfortunate, uh, but it does happen. Um, but those people were never had a genuine faith. You, you just don't decide one day to say, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be a Christian anymore. If you're genuinely saved, you're not going to become unsaved, okay? It just doesn't, it doesn't happen. Those people that walk away were never saved to begin with. And that's a hard truth, and it could be a family member, it could be a loved one, it could be anything. It could be a close friend. But um, we are good, all of us are very good at making facades and being things that we are not. And so, um, but if you're saved, you're saved. You're not going to lose your faith. Um, the, Holy, the Holy Spirit continues to sanctify, he convicts, and becomes our helper to ensure our preservation. He indwells within us, as we mentioned earlier. He guides us and helps us and convicts us and, and all the things that he does, working in concert with Christ in heaven and God for our good, for our good. Even when things are going bad, God is doing this for our good. And I, I, I've been through a lot of deep waters in different times. But in the end, you know, what was it that God was teaching me during that time? And a lot of times you don't see it until afterwards, but I'll um, uh, have to wrap up here pretty quick. Um, but he is doing it for our good, and he is uh, ensuring our preservation. Um, and again, thanks be to God, it doesn't rest on our strength. And it does not rest on our strength. Um, we still have to do and we still have to go, but we have to understand that our strength comes from God. It comes from the Holy Spirit, and it comes from Christ interceding in our lives. So that's, you know, that should give you great comfort that it doesn't, you know, yeah, you got to go and do stuff. You got to read your Bible. You got to pray. You got to study. You got to learn things, okay? But um, in the end, it's God. And then um, warnings against being puffed up because of all these things, you know, in view of our spiritual strength, I caution you. Just because you know more than one other person, or maybe you are further along in the sanctification than someone else. That is not for you to go around acting puffed up. It should humble you even greater and, and, and guide and direct other people um, along those same things. Um, I'm going to leave the summary things to you to read. Um, any really quick questions or anything? It's a lot. I mean, I, you're, you're probably swimming, and I understand, and I apologize. These three subjects, would take you could take months to teach them. Um, but I give you my resources and such. I will be more than glad to ask any questions. I will find out your question um, in uh, short order, and I'll get back with you all on that. Let me go ahead and close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do come before you, and Lord, we just thank you again for this time. Be with us. Uh, help us to uh, transition to worshiping you, our holy God. Um, help us to 
um, have ears to hear and eyes to see. Be with Michael as he brings the word of God um, to us uh, this day. In Christ's name we pray.